0: One of the the verses while Brother Rich was reading that stuck out to me was when there was a plea that said, beautify your sanctuary. When was the last time you prayed that? Beautify your sanctuary. Do you even know what that means today? Like, what are we supposed to do with that today? Are we supposed to pray, Lord, beautify your sanctuary in the same way that perhaps, that they may have thought about that back in the day. with <clears throat> The temple that was supposed to represent the holiness and the purity and the beauty of God. Of course, by the time that was written, it had been very much unkept. can't remember off the top of my head if it had been burned by that point. But how do, we, how do we pray, Lord, beautify your sanctuary? Because back then, the temple was the sanctuary. The temple was what people were supposed to come to to see the beauty of the Lord. <coughs> the world was supposed to come to Israel, to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple. That's where they would see the holiness of God on display by this temple. What do we do with that? Are we supposed to overlay our you know, our wood trimming with gold. and Are we supposed to pray to God that He'd beautify the sanctuary here? Is that what we're supposed to be praying for? I don't think we could afford to do that, right, Kirk? I, don't, I haven't looked at our finances yet, but I don't think we could cover stuff in gold. <laughs> the difference between today and yesteryear is yester, in yesteryear, people, the world was expected to come and see the holiness of God. Today, the sanctuary of the Lord goes out and reveals the holiness of Christ to the world. We are the sanctuary. We, the people. We have been given the commission to go and share the beauty of Christ with the world. We are the sanctuary. So when we, when we pray, Lord, beautify your sanctuary, what we ought to be praying is, Lord, help me to be more like Christ Help me to be more like Christ so that when I go out, when people see me, they glorify their Father who's in heaven. So we should be praying, Lord, beautify your sanctuary. We should be praying that. But with the intent that the Lord will make us more like Jesus so that Jesus, when we go out, he would be magnified so that the world might behold the beauty and the holiness and the glory of God because they see it in His new temple which is our bodies. Matthew chapter 14. Now there's a a short little story that Matthew is telling here. We haven't really heard from John the Baptist in a while. Matthew chapter 14, he enters the scene again. Let me just read some of these verses here. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 1. At at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife because he had been saying to him, "'It is not lawful for you to have her.' And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, "'Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter.' And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, He commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the wisdom that you want us to see. Pray that we would speak the things that you want us to to speak or to hear. I just pray that whatever it is that we learn today, that it would propel us into a deeper relationship with Christ, to know Him better, to walk with Him always. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what do we know about John the Baptist? We know that he was born... Just prior to Jesus, we don't really have a whole lot of detail about his childhood. He had a miraculous birth, just like Jesus did. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, was John the Baptist's mother, and she was barren. But she was miraculously given the opportunity to give birth to John the Baptist, and We don't need to tell that whole story there, but there was just a miraculous story. We see him leaping in in the womb of Elizabeth when Elizabeth and Mary were together. Um, The Spirit of God was upon John the Baptist before he was ever born. Um, And that Spirit of God that was upon him could sense the presence of the Messiah even from womb to womb, which I just think is an amazing story. Um, But then he was born, he grew, he he uh, spent. Well, it seemed like he spent a lot of his uh, his upbringing just wandering in the wilderness. Um, he, when he grew up, he was kind of a weird outcast, um, wearing very rugged clothing, um, eating locusts and honey, basically whatever he found out in the wilderness, whatever the Lord provided, I should say. But this more, more or less, more more than. That's an, the most important part about John the Baptist, though, is the fact that. He had a very specific prophesied destiny and purpose in the world. To prepare the way for the Messiah. He was to get the people ready with whatever his ministry was. It was a ministry of repentance. He's called John the Baptist. He did a lot of baptizing. That was a primary function of his position on the earth. He, he prophesied. He preached. He preached. He almost I mean, from what we can see in the scripture, it almost seems like John the Baptist was that guy that nobody really wanted to invite over for dinner, because he was probably going to yell at them about something. Um, he was rebu- he was, his ministry was a ministry of rebuke, rebuking the nation of their sin. Even the Gentile, even Gentiles that came to him, he would rebuke them because of their sin and tell them to repent because the time is at hand, return to God, for time is short. And in this story, we see him again. He is rebuking Herod, the Tetrarch, again, a Gentile, somebody who um, is ruling over part of the nation of Israel um, under Rome. And he's in trouble. Herod doesn't really like him because John the Baptist is rebuking him for some for a sin that he has committed, that we're not going to talk more or less about Herod's story here. That's kind of plain for you to read on your own. Um, I want to talk more about the significance of what's going on in this story, because this is not just some random story that we get to read about, the death of John the Baptist, which is you know, something that's interesting for us to know about, but it's here for a reason. But John the Baptist... He was there to prepare the way for the Messiah. That was his role in this world. His role in this world. He was, Jesus called him the greatest prophet. There was nobody who was greater than John the Baptist, Jesus said. And we don't actually have a lot of stories about John the Baptist. We have a couple. We have a short sermon in the book of John. We have a short sermon in Matthew. Um... But not really, we don't really have a lot of detail about John the Baptist's ministry. We just kind of have a brief overview. A, a, a little snapshot of a particular time and place. And Jesus calls him the greatest prophet. He probably did a lot of pretty cool stuff while he was alive. Um, so much so that here in this story, Herod the Tetrarch is afraid of Jesus because. He thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead because he's hearing stories about all the miracles that Jesus is doing. So he's like, that must be John the Baptist because look at all these amazing things he's been doing. So John the Baptist is probably going around doing some pretty amazing things himself. But the testimony of John the Baptist can be summarized in this. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I we almost guarantee that that's pretty much the reason why we don't have a lot of stories about John the Baptist. Because we as people, we like our heroes. We like to exalt men that do cool stuff. <laughs> we like to make heroes out of them. We like to put them in the halls of fame. But John the Baptist, to his own testimony, said, he must increase, talking about the Messiah, Jesus, and I must decrease. His life prior, you know, Jesus, he didn't really start his ministry until John the Baptist baptized him. You don't really see Jesus doing anything that interesting until then. Up until that point, John the Baptist was on the scene. He was the one calling the nation to repentance, to repent seek God once again, submit themselves to God's law. I mean, we all know that Israel had a really hard time throughout their history actually following God's ways. I mean, that's one of the primary functions of the Old Testament is to show us how we cannot seek God's ways on our own. We need somebody to give us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Because our heart is hard and we do what we want rather than what God wants. And Israel gives us a huge picture of this for thousands of years. John the Baptist enters the scene and one of his primary functions here is to call the nation to repentance, to submit to God's law. To remind them once again of the one who would appear after a long silence and restore the glory of God amongst his people that they had seen lost it's been four or 500 years since they had since the nation of Israel had received any word from God since Malachi was written that was the last time they received any word from God and the book of Malachi was a book of rebuke to the primarily to the shepherds of Israel the leaders of Israel They had long been in exile. They had had seen some people return to the homeland. Most of them remained in exile. Those who did return to the homeland never really completely um, saw deliverance. I mean, when Matthew was being written, Rome was in power, they had authority over the nation. in John chapter four, 1 if you want to look there real quick John chapter 1 starting in verse 14 If you want to if you're if you haven't been reading your Bible recently and you want to pick up somewhere read John 1 Beautiful For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only true God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God the next day. John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And then skip over to chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose among some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now come back to Matthew chapter 14. We see here a great, I mean, Just studying the the teachings of John the Baptist and seeing his testimony, it thrills my heart. It's one of the most clear presentations of who Christ is, and and in a in a form of prostration. John is just filled with humility. He knew his place more than anybody. He knew from prophecies, sure but also just by the very nature of who the Messiah was, that He wasn't a man who was supposed to have any name amongst the people. He was not a man worthy of any glory. And please track with me, I'm not just giving you a biography of John today. This all has to do with our passage in John chapter 14. We see Him constantly bearing witness of Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. The Lamb of God being the Savior of the world, this is the same concept. A lamb in a, man, in a man or woman's time in Jerusalem was symbolic of sacrifice for sin. And this is how John the Baptist portrayed this Messiah throughout his ministry. Jesus was going to be the Lamb of God. God, I mean, we, it's, this, it's an appropriate time to talk about thanksgiving Thanksgiving being a time where we think about what the Lord has provided. The first time we see the name of God Jehovah Jireh, which name means the Lord provides, is way back in Abraham's day, when God told Abraham, "Take your son Isaac up on that mountain and kill him as a sacrifice." And as they're on their way, he he's taking Isaac. They have wood for the fire. And Isaac, the perceptive child that he was, realizes we don't have any animals for a sacrifice. Father, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. And he continues in faith going to that hill. And he goes to sacrifice his son, but then the Lord provides a sacrifice. The angel of the Lord stops him Says stop. There's a ram over, caught in the bushes over there. Sacrifice that. Sacrifice that. Don't sacrifice your son. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And here, John the Baptist's ministry was a ministry about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide a lamb. The Lamb of God will come. He will make atonement for your sin. He's calling the people to repentance, okay? Not so that they can erase their own sins. Because that, sometimes that's how, what we feel like we're doing. When we pray, we've, we've screwed up, we've made a mistake. and we pray, God, forgive me, we think that in our prayer, we're somehow atoning for our sin. That's not what we're doing when we're praying. We're placing our sin upon the shoulders of one who can take it away. Right? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrificial atonement for our sin. He is the one who assuages the wrath of God as the Lamb who is slaughtered on our behalf. And that's the ministry of John the Baptist. He is pointing people to Jesus through pointing them, first of all, to repentance, readying them, to receive the long awaited messiah he's telling them return to god return to what the law has spoken concerning the messiah who would come and take away your sins the lamb of god it was he was prophesied to come john the baptist was the one the forerunner to come ready the people he's coming he's going to be here get ready for him repent return to the lord so that you'll be ready when he appears so that you'll be ready to put your faith in Him, the Lamb. So now, at, in John the Baptist's ministry, when Jesus approached him to be baptized, this was very telling to John the Baptist. Perhaps in John the Baptist's mind, he knew, okay, here's the Messiah. Just like when he leaped, leapt in the womb, when Mary approached with baby Jesus in her womb, Jesus approaches John the Baptist. His spirit reveals to him that this is the long awaited Messiah, the Lamb of God, that you have been readying the people for. Okay? And in John the Baptist's mind, he's thinking too, he's here. There he is. He's getting us ready. The Lamb of God is here, he is stepping up to the plate. So now me, it's time for me to start falling behind the scenes. He was on the forefront of the attention of the Jewish people for a while because he was the one preaching. He was the one rebuking. He was the one performing miracles. He was the one baptizing. He was the rabbi of rabbis. But now Jesus comes. He steps up to the plate. He's calling his disciples. He's asking John the Baptist to baptize him. And John the Baptist knows the time is now. It is time for me to start shrinking. And when his disciples approached John the Baptist, his rabbis had disciples. It's not just a Jesus thing, but a Jewish thing. Rabbis had disciples. John the Baptist was considered a rabbi. He had disciples that he was training and teaching. Um, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, was John the Baptist's disciple until Jesus came. And then Nathaniel switched over fun fact, Um, and his disciples come and ask him, hey, Jesus, that man that you are with, he's baptizing people now, and his disciples are baptizing people, and everybody's going over there. People are leaving us. People are no longer coming to you, John. People are now going to Jesus. Aren't you concerned about that a little? I mean, is this, I mean, is he kind of getting in on your turf? You know? And he's, um, what do you, what? Uh, this is your territory, John. Aren't you worried about this? John says, no. Even though he came after me, he's been here before me. He knew exactly who the Messiah was the one who was there way back when, the great I am the ever-present, ever-self-sustaining one. He knew the Creator when He saw Him. And He knew that He was not worthy to even loose, loosen the buckle on His sandals. He was a created being, created by this very man that He baptized. And just like Peter wouldn't, didn't want at first Jesus to wash His feet, John the Baptist didn't want Jesus to come to him to be baptized. He he wasn't worthy of this, but it it must have been so. It must have been so, Jesus said. For the sake of fulfilling righteousness. So John does it. But then from that moment on, he is ready. He He is not giving up on his ministry until the Lord takes him. John never gave up on his ministry of repentance. And we see that in this story with Herod. He was still rebuking people for their sin all the way up until the day of his death. He, de- he never stopped ministering, even though he knew it was his time to retreat, not to necessarily retreat, but to step out of the limelight because there was a new person on stage who was meant to be the forefront of everybody's attention. When John baptized Jesus, the Spirit came upon Jesus, and the Father's approval came upon Jesus, verbally from heaven. John's baptism served as a type of anointing. Anointing, the Messiah means the anointed one. Jesus came as the anointed one. We can read about that in Isaiah chapter 60, 61, 62. We're not going to read through all of these, but we'll at least look at um, a couple of these passages, Isaiah 61, just a few verses here, verses 1 through 3, this is a messianic statement, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And open the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called the oaks of righteousness. And then in chapter 62... Starting in verse 1 For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Under her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In verse 10, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, cleared of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. And here we can kind of see John the Baptist defining his whole ministry by these passages There is one, okay, I have been called to a ministry to prepare the way for the one who is anointed to come and bring the year of the Lord's favor. I am called to prepare the way, to prepare the people. As a uh, as a bridegroom or as a bride might be prepared for the presentation to the bridegroom on her wedding day, John the Baptist is preparing the nation of Israel for their bridegroom to come and to take her as wife. That's the picture that's being here. And in verse 10 we see the cry to prepare the way. Prepare this. Build it up. Build a highway. Clear it of stones. That's make a way in the wilderness. Just like John the Baptist said was his job. To make a way in the wilderness for the coming of the Messiah. Because the redemption of the Lord is coming. His reward and His recompense is coming with Him. The people were told to seek the Anointed One, the Messiah. And John the Baptist was preparing them because he was coming. But have you ever been part of the preparation process for a wedding? I was a wedding photographer, wedding photographer for a while, and I would work with um, these other people who were you know, involved in the wedding. You have somebody who's preparing the flowers. you have somebody who's kind of organizing everything. You have the DJ who's doing the music. you have the, the cooks and you know all these types of people who are doing all these things. But who gets the glory in a wedding? Is it the photographer or the DJ or the cooks or the, the flower people, or whoever it is? Are those the people who get the glory? Who, who gets the glory? Is it the, is it the maid of honor? I mean, the maid of honor, I mean, it's in her very name. Maid of honor. Isn't she supposed to be honored on this day? And the maid of honor's job is to help prepare the bride to go down that aisle to make, her, to make sure that she's as beautiful as she can be for the presentation to the groom that's at the end of that aisle. That's their that's her job. And it's the job of all these other people who have partaken this wedding to see to it that the bride and the groom are glorified and magnified. Once the the flower the the flower people put the flowers out, they hand the bouquets to the to the uh, to the bride, to um, the wedding party, they put the flowers on the table. On the tables or wherever they need to be, her, her, his or her job is kind of done. It's time for them to be presented. Once, the, once the, you know, the photographer, as a photographer, it was my job to stay out of people's way so that they could see the bride and the groom. That was part of the hard part of the job because sometimes that's very difficult <laughs> to try to get a good shot and also stay out of the way. All these people, they're there for the sake of the bride and the groom. John the Baptist was kind of like that maid of honor <clears throat> to prepare the people for, presenta- for the presentation to the groom. That was his job. But once the, the bride is prepared, the maid of honor kind of just steps into line so that everybody can look at the beautiful bride that has been prepared for the groom. And John the Baptist knew his spot, knew his place. He was there to prepare the people for the for the presentation of the Messiah. He was to prepare the way. And once the way was prepared, there was not really much else for him to do. It was time for the groom and the bride to be the center of the attention. In this, in this situation, specifically the groom being Jesus, the Messiah. Once Jesus entered the scene, John the Baptist immediately, he must increase and I must decrease. I've done my job. And you know what? I'm not dead yet, so I'll continue calling the nation to repentance. I'll continue rebuking the Gentiles. But it's time for Jesus to be the one that everybody's looking at. It's time for Jesus to be exalted. And He did this to the, day, the very day of his death. And that's really what we want to look at here in Matthew chapter 14, because this is kind of a segue passage. I mean, Jesus has already been doing some pretty cool stuff. He's been teaching a lot of very pointed teaching. But here in chapter 14, John the Baptist is completely being taken out of the picture. He is now completely gone. Nobody's got eyes on him anymore, because he has now been beheaded. He is dead his disciples don't know what to do. They come to Jesus, they tell Jesus what happened, but they kind of fizzle out. Jesus is the only one left for the people to seek guidance from, to seek repentance from. And, from the, and immediately after this, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And immediately after feeding the 5,000, the people try to make Him king. After the death of John the Baptist, it seems like there is this sense that it's time to have a king now. And the people wanted to just take him by force and force him to be king. <laughs> now Jesus knew it wasn't time for that, nor was that the way, the kind of king that he was supposed to be at that time. But upon the death of John the Baptist, the over, the, for the rest of the, the book of Matthew, we really see him glorified even more. We see more of a kingly presentation of Jesus throughout the rest of the book of Matthew. John the Baptist is gone. His ministry is done. Now it's time for Jesus to come in His fullness to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And He's going to be doing that in the coming chapters through His teaching, through His works. And it's very. We'll talk about this more next week, or the next time we come to Matthew chapter 14. But when Jesus feeds the five thousand, that was significant to the people. That was Jesus presenting himself as the new Moses. Moses brought manna from heaven to feed the people. Now Jesus bringing food out of no, practically nowhere to feed the people. He's the new Moses. Let's make him king. He's our leader now. All this occurring right after John the Baptist is completely taken out of the way. And I want us to consider for ourselves, how are we supposed to apply this? One, we need to take upon ourselves the mind of John the Baptist. What are we here for? Are we here to live a good life, to enjoy ourselves, to enjoy our families, to uh, make some money, to build our our households, to provide something for the next generation? Is that what we're here for? Those are some fine things to do. Those are fine things. But is that what we're here for? John the Baptist is like the poster child of complete devotion. I mean, how many of us are supposed to just leave everything, go live in the desert and eat locusts and honey and wear skins off of animals that we killed? (laughs) That's not necessarily the call to all of us. But he does show us the humility that should... Be with the meekness that should be in each one of us. We should know why we're here. To come to Christ and to glorify Christ. To trust in Christ, to follow Christ, and to glorify Him throughout the earth. We can pray. I mean, I wasn't planning on tying this in with the the beginning portion. That was just kind of a freebie, but God, beautify your sanctuary So that the glory of Christ may be seen everywhere, because that's what we're here for. We're not here to just live a good life and then die. You live, you die. That's just kind of the way things go, right? No. We have a purpose. Not exactly the same purpose as John the Baptist, but similar. His meekness is a testament to us that, yeah. I must decrease so that He may increase. And as we decrease, as we stop seeking our own will, our own ways, our own success, our own delight, I mean, if you've, if you've repented of this in the past and you have started seeking the glory of Christ rather than your own ways, you can see, you can sense the Spirit of God empowering you each day as you, in meekness, Start walking according to the will of God. The will of God for each of us being the glory of Christ. Seeking the beauty of the sanctuary, not so that people can see the beauty of the sanctuary, so that they can see it and see the glory of Christ through it. The temple was beautiful, not so that people could glory in a beautiful temple, but so that they could glory in a holy God and a beautiful God, a God of provision and power and authority. So when we think about about John the Baptist, we need to be thinking, we need to be seeing his testimony and praying the same things. God, help me to decrease so that he might increase not that, we, not that we bow out of society. Not that kind of decreasing necessarily. But we decrease in, in regards to what are my priorities in life? Are they all about me and my little establishment here on this earth? Or are they, as Jesus taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, I mean, that's Jesus' ministry to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. Still in the process of that, we'll find fullness in the days to come. But we need to take the meekness of John the Baptist upon us and recognize, I am here for a reason. John the Baptist walked fully in the reason why he was there. He didn't stray one way or the other from it. We need to take his example Get rid of our distractions, or at least reevaluate the thing, the other all these other good things that we're pursuing and think, how can I do this to the glory of Christ? Rather than just for the sake of, well, it's the wisdom of man to be responsible with my money, okay? Now how can I be responsible for the glory of Christ? How can I be pure for the glory of Christ? How can I be a good father, grandfather, great-grandfather? Grandmother, for the glory of Christ. How can I be a member of Peniel Bible Church for the glory of Christ? And not just so that I feel like I'm doing the right thing and going to church. How can I do the right thing for the glory of Christ? Rather than the glory of myself. How do I get off the stage so that Jesus can be the only thing That people see. Let us think those thoughts. Let us pray those prayers. God, show me how I can do this. Because if we were to go through all those different things. And all these different elements of our life. And how can we glorify Christ through these things? We could be here for days. Because there are so many different elements of our lives. That we should be using for the glory of Christ. But make it a source of your meditation. The Lord has provided redemption for you. Not just so that you can be saved, but so that you can also go then and glorify Christ in this world. So let us be thankful for what God has given us. Let us enjoy the grace of God. But then let's also go and glorify the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us in this journey of life. Help us to take the testimony of John the Baptist and learn from him. Let us learn meekness, because the meek meek are those who you offer your salvation to. Forgive us for how we have strayed. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our self-sufficiency. And I pray that our lives would be covered with the name Jehovah Jireh. In Jesus' name, amen.